newsletters was popular 20 years ago. If someone would have asked me then, I'd never guess they'd still be around in 2021. Miguel Åkerman is a media industry editor at Shipstack Next Media. In this week's episode, she talks about the art of writing a successful newsletter. Michaela, welcome to Shift the Talks. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am fine. So we're going to talk about newsletters today. 20 years ago, newsletters were really hot. I would have never guessed that it would still be around today, but it is and it's really working out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a growing segment almost and uh, it's, a, it's a popular business at the moment. I think there are uh, several different explanations to why newsletters are so popular today. But one of them, I believe, is that there are just so many apps and websites uh, and social platforms that we're supposed to check every day that it becomes overwhelming. So I think there's a need for information to come to us rather than us seeking it out. And newsletters can serve almost, you know, like a filter through the noise. And it's also a news flow that we control, can control in a sense that we can d- decide which newsletters we want to subscribe and unsubscribe to. And I think it gives people a sense of being in the, the driver's seats. Yeah. The art of, of writing a successful newsletter then, I mean, uh, what's the most important things to think about? Um, I think a good newsletter should be quick and to the point. People want to get down to the core of what's important and they don't want to waste time. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the newsletter has to be short, but it has to be you know, easy to scan and browse through if you're very busy. It should also be you know, relevant to the reader. You should deliver on your promise. Yeah. They should know what to expect from the newsletter. What, what's a good open rate, would you say? A good open rate, uh, I'd say, is uh, above the industry standard, and the industry, which is, <laughs> which is uh, between fifteen and twenty-five percent. Okay. Uh, and it can differ between industries. I think within sports, it's a bit higher; it's closer to thirty. Yeah. But you know, there are some newsletters that are extremely popular. We have, like, for example, the Morning Brew. I think has an open rate around fifty percent. The Morning. Morning Brew. What's that? Yeah, it's a super popular like business newsletter. Yeah. It was started just a few years ago by a couple guys in the States and it blew up. Uh, I think they have 3 million plus subscribers uh, or something like that. And it's become uh, a big business. And another example of a really big one is The Skim, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. targeted towards women. Two, uh, two women started it, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and they have... I believe, over 7 million subscribers today. Uh, I'm personally not a fan of their style, uh, but I mean, they're doing something right, for sure. But uh, that leads me to another question. Because in Svenskadal Bladet, where where I work, we often try to keep the reader in the newsletter, so to speak. Not that many links with more text heavy, sort of like the skim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would you say that's a good idea? It depends on what you're going for. I don't think you have to be afraid of links. Um, mm. If you're scared about people leaving the newsletters, because the average click rate in newsletters is very low. I yeah. think it's around 2%, 2.5%. But uh, I believe links, again, give the reader a sense of, you know, being in control. They want the option to be able to click 
um, on something to dig deeper or go directly to the source. It's just a behavior that we've gotten used to on the internet today. So, um, you know, I would ask you, like, what's the reason for not using links? Now, I would. I don't know. I'm not sure about this. No. <laughs> I might say you're the expert. Yeah, I think links are good. We actually, you, we, we have. Now I'm humble bragging, but we're producing two Svenska Dalbet newsletters. One is uh, with wine, and one is just for SVD Perfect Guide. And we have 45% open rate, hmm. so that's good, right? Mm -hmm. That's a really good open rate. And one is with links, and one is without links. So, and they have the same open rate. So I don't think it's a difference. No. But also for a brand like SVD, who has, you know, a great source of its own journalistic content and, you know, produces original articles, then maybe links aren't as important. But a lot of newsletters today are more um, curators, so yeah. they curate other news. And then links is extremely important yeah. because you're sort of building your work on, on uh, other people's content um, yeah, or around it at least. So I'd say it depends on the topic um, yeah. and the segment you're in. But, but, uh, could you give me a general, what's, what's the trends in newsletters in today? I'd say that I can see two very clear routes. Like either you go, you go super niche uh, and deep. For example, we have the wait but why, um, very like explanatory deep dives. And we have the strategy by Ben Thompson, super like long thorough newsletters. Yeah. So they become popular, like long reads, or you go the other direction and it's, you know, providing overview breakdowns of big trends and um, timely topics. Uh, a lot of use of like bullet points, uh, explaining why a certain um, piece of news is important, how it affects people's lives, just putting information into context and explaining it to readers. Another trend, I'd say, is trying to build a community around your newsletters. Yeah. Uh, having referral programs, almost making your readers ambassadors or influencers for your brand. Other trends, you know, we have services like Substack, which Substack is a newsletter platform that allows writers uh, to charge their subscribers um, for the content. So a lot of, actually during the pandemic, um, there have been a lot of journalists who started their own newsletters, mm -hmm. you know, people dropping out from the Atlantic or losing their jobs from like big newspapers. So they're, you know, they're great writers and yeah. they maybe have their following already. So uh, they moved to these like independent platforms and, um, you know, some have actually become super successful and can charge a lot of money. And they earn money by ads or by the readers paying for the subscriptions? How, the readers the... paying uh, for subscriptions. Okay. So if you have a, a huge following, uh, you can end up making a lot of money on this. Yeah. Because that's another question of mine. Uh, we're looking at Svenska Dalbet. I'm not sure about everything, but we make a lot of money out of the wine newsletter. Mm -hmm. Not sure about the other ones, the other newsletters. How is, I mean, as a source of income, how, how would you rate newsletters? Mm, I'd say... You can use newsletters for a range of different, you know, purposes. Uh, making money can be one of them, but not all newsletters are profitable um, mm. in the sense that they give you revenue. But they can serve as a great way of acquiring new customers or building, you know, brand awareness or loyalty, you know, reduce churn. Um, yeah within you know your audience so 
But again, there are newsletters like The Morning Brew and The Skim who make a lot of money, but they do that by having sponsored posts or having sponsored letters. Yeah. Um, what is it with The Skim that you don't like? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... So what I don't like about The Skim is the way that it talks to grown-up women like they're 16-year-old girls. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they explain even... <laughs> the most, you know, serious and heavy topics, like it's gossip and they present it in, in a way that doesn't sit right with me. I don't like their logo. I feel like it's very outdated, like this really skinny woman with a pearl necklace, you know, sitting on the couch with a glass of wine or it's just a bit too stereotypical, yeah. I think. So uh, what sort of regularity should I have if I have a newsletter? And is it important that it comes out every day or every week? Yes, the frequency is important. Yeah. And you can definitely send out a newsletter too often and too rarely. How many newsletters can you send out one week to someone? Again, I think it depends on the on the, on the the topic and the quality of the content. Uh, and maybe you can just look at your own behavior. Like, when do you feel like it's too much from a company? If it's a, a morning brief, of course, it should come daily. Yeah. Um, but if it's a, a deep dive into a topic, it can feel overwhelming uh, to, to handle every day. Yeah. I mean, I worked for companies where we sent out newsletters twice a day, but it was for a specific uh, industry. And... Um, for them, it can be interesting to stay up to date twice a day about what's going on. But yeah, I think it comes down to if the content is interesting enough. Yeah. In your team, how many newsletters do you write? We send out two newsletters a day. Which is that? They're called the Shipstead Daily and the Advinta Daily. Yeah. And it's... Um, I get the Shipstead Daily. It's very good. Yeah. Shipstead Daily started a few years ago as an experiment, actually. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to test if we could do tailored industry newsletters for large companies. Yeah. So we wanted to help employees stay up to date with uh, what was going on within the company and the industries uh, that it operates in. Essentially trying to help employees uh, you know, perform better at work, help them innovate. Yeah. Uh, we write about you know, everything from mental health to productivity. We do interviews with uh, uh, with colleagues and uh, the management team. Uh, so we just try to help people make a better job. And we do this um, by writing an email, email that should take three minutes or less to read every day. And you send this out to everyone with the ships that address, address right? Exactly. Uh, unless and, you, and what's I mean, the open rate? Uh, the daily open rate is around 50%. 50%? Yeah. Even since they haven't asked for the email? Yes. That's amazing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is amazing. So that's what I said. It started as an, ex as an experiment, but yeah. uh, it ended up being Has so popular. Has it increased popular. during the pandemic? Not really, actually. I mean, uh, we started out as, uh, with a really high open rate in the beginning. We had around 80%, but that was because we initially had people sign up for it because it was a test. So yeah, we yeah. wanted a beta group of 400 people. But before our deadline, we had a thousand subscribers that had just, you know, grew organically. People had recommended it to their colleagues and so on. They saw, obviously, they saw value yeah, in, yeah. in the newsletter. And uh, 
that's why ships that decided to you know send it out to all employees because yeah. they wanted um, everyone to benefit from this and you have the option to opt out so um, if you don't feel like it's relevant for what you do at yeah. Shipstead, then you shouldn't have to receive this every day. And the other winter newsletter, what's the difference? You know, it's it's more about you know marketplaces, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, not any media news, and it has a a bit more um, internal content uh, about what's going on within Adavinta. And I think that's because Adavinta is a much younger company than Shipstead. Yeah, yeah. So when Adavinta and Shipstead split up. Um, the, the people at Adavinta wanted to keep the Shipstead Daily. They liked the product, but they wanted to make their own version yeah. out of it. So, so yeah, it, it was an experiment that ended up being, uh, you know, our almost a, a full-time job for us. How, how important is the subject for the open rate? It's somewhat important, but it's not everything. Um, and the subject is actually, you know, pretty easy to test with A-B testing for your specific audience because it can differ. Um, How do you explain that? How do you do that? So A-B testing is that you um, you write two different uh, subject lines and yeah. you send half of the audience one of them and the other half the, the other subject. Uh, and you see, you know, which one performs the best. And could you say, tell me something about in general what works? I mean, is it... Uh, Cliffhanger, mm. sexy humor, what, what works? I'd say, I mean, for the Shipstead Daily, for example, when we write about Shipstead in some sense or a news that directly involves Shipstead that uh, usually performs pretty high, when it feels very far away, like sometimes when we write about, you know, maybe US news or or something, uh, it feels, yeah, it feels a bit too far away from the reader and it's, it's not, as, not as relevant to them. So you shouldn't use too many emojis that's been shown yeah. <laughs> in experiments and um but it's mostly again about you know being consistent in delivering great content and then people won't care so much if the subject isn't on point for them because they know that you always you know provide something interesting some of the big tech companies are, are working on newsletters today right or, yeah of course they they're never late to jump in a trend and so we have you know both facebook and twitter yeah. have gone out and said that they're going to launch some sort of newsletter products what exactly is that then? Uh, it can be for twitter for example i think they've said that um you should be able to uh, send newsletters to your followers yeah so they have an advantage uh, over for example substack where people have to build a new following. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people already have a big following on Twitter that yeah, they yeah, worked yeah. up for many years. So I, I think it can be a smart move. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll it see. is so much easier to start off that way when you, uh, I get it. Mm -hmm. So in general then working for Shipstead, pros and cons. It is definitely- How many years have you, have you worked for Shipstead? Quite a few. And I think that says a lot. Um, you know, I started out as an intern back in 2010. I worked as a news reporter for SVD. And uh, I stayed for a few years, but then I actually left, uh, not because I wasn't happy. It was my dream job. I had always dreamed about working for SVD, but I wanted to live abroad um, and I moved to California and I uh, actually with the help of Shipstead I got a media visa and I worked as a freelance correspondent from Silicon Valley and Los Angeles and then when I moved back to Sweden a few years later I was offered the position that I have today 
And I immediately said yes, because I'd really missed working for Shipstead. And again, I think it says a lot about Shipstead as a company. They weren't bitter over the fact that I left. Uh, mm. They saw it as an opportunity for both me and them that I had gained some other kind of experience. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be back home yeah. <laughs> with Shipstead. <laughs> and cons, I'd say the only thing I can think of is, you know, because we're such a, you know, big and well-respected brand, uh, with you know clear expectations from our users and readers, it can be hard sometimes to feel like you have room to fail because you're very. We have this history of these like huge successes, and you feel like you need to present something groundbreaking almost. And of course, we do things that you know don't work out yeah. behind the scenes. But at the same time, it's a good kind of pressure because it forces you to think big, and you want to like. You want to present something extraordinary. So the, the pandemic then, how has it treated you? Well, I haven't been too affected because uh, I was at home either way on maternity leave. Yeah. But when I came back, you know, I had new team members that I've never met. Uh, and, you know, we speak to each other every day and we still haven't even gone for a walk. So we're going to make sure we, we get to see each other at least. You haven't seen them for a year then? In no, life. no. Oh my goodness. Um, but other than that, you know, working with newsletters, you have uh, a clear deadline. But I mean, I don't have to sit at the office. It's, but now when I'm in a, a development uh, stage, we're working on a new project. Uh, then I miss being around my colleagues, like having workshops, being yeah. able to sit down, brainstorm. This working so remote thing, I mean, it, it divides people. Some actually seem to love it. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, how would you like to work when you when it's all over and you come back from your second maternity leave? Yeah, I, I think I prefer a mix of being at the office and working from home. So I definitely would like to have a couple of days a week where I can sit down with my colleagues and have meetings in real life. But when it comes to the actual writing, I prefer uh, sitting at home at my desk. And um, I'd say I'd, I'd like a, a mix of the two. Yeah. And I mean, congrats, you will... For sure, get what you want. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Two years ago, you wouldn't. <laughs> no. And I think it's interesting what Omni did. And they said that their writers were allowed to sit from wherever. They could sit in Bali if they wanted to. Yeah. Or uh, as long as they were connected. And for me, who back in the day felt like I had to you know, quit my job to live abroad. Yeah. Um, that could mean that I could maybe I could still work with what I love, but I could do it from wherever. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for coming to Shipstead Talks. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This podcast was brought to you by Shipstead Employee Branding Team. My name is Hugo Rienberg. Producer was Jens Back. <laughs>